0: You're listening to the Townsville Chambercast. Essential information, ideas and news that matters to the business community of Townsville. We would like to thank our show partner, Adits, for making this podcast possible. Adits are a local IT provider with one purpose, to implement effective technology solutions which empower their customers to achieve their mission. You can find out more about how they can support you and your business over on their website, In this episode, Townsville Chamber of Commerce's CEO Ross McLennan sits down with Mayor Jenny Hill to discuss her recent speech at the Property Council of Australia's annual luncheon, where growing the Townsville region was high on the agenda for the Townsville City Council. So settle in as we hear about the Council's plan to grow our region how we can capitalise on future opportunities such as the 2032 Olympics, migration, the reinsurance pool and hydrogen. Welcome,
1: Ross and Jenny.
2: Thanks very much, Claire, and and thank you so much for your time, Madam Mayor, on this, uh, this busy Christmas Eve. Thank you very much for coming in.
1: Thanks for the invite, Ross. So,
2: Jenny, I, I was really taken by the uh, the speech you made at the the property council lunch uh, just a couple of weeks ago. It it really it really shed some light, I guess, on what we can expect here in the city uh, over the coming years. And I know you talked all the way out to to twenty sixty. You know, the possibility of a million people here. It's, a, it's an exciting time to be here, isn't it, in, in Northern Australia and in Townsville?
1: Well, it is. I mean, we've um, identified that there is so much opportunity here for growth, particularly economic growth. And Ross, you and I went through the closure of some of our key industries as long ago as four years ago when we lost q We thought that... Um, yeah, you know, that was the turning point for me in terms of looking for industry to come to Townsville. Now Bravis, I mean we just keep hearing about their advertising every day, looking for people to work in their mine. And I think that's the start of the upswing that we're starting to see. So in reality, um, we talk about a million people in the city, but it's not inconceivable when you think about all the industry that's now looking to move here, the pressure on housing we have at the moment, the skills shortage. I mean we've come out of the COVID-19 pandemic probably stronger than when we went into it.
2: Oh, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, it doesn't matter which report you sort of look at the moment. I know I sat down with Matt Kelly a month ago and looked at those key indicators. We sort of, then you look at the job numbers and, mm. and you look at all of those different things. But I guess one of the things that we've always highlighted up here and we always like to talk about is our is our livability Style and affordability to a certain extent. I know we're starting to see a little bit of capital growth on on property at the moment, but nothing like the 30, 35% of wages that you're paying in the capitals down in Sydney and Melbourne and and even Brisbane to a certain extent. So we really do have a a good opportunity here for lifestyle and affordability too.
1: We do. I mean, you look at the growth, particularly in Brisbane at the moment, (laughs) If you were getting married and you had a, a combined income of say one sixty thousand, there's no way you can get into the market down there. And I speak to a lot of the um, a lot of Ex-Townsville kids who are there. You'll start to see some of them come thinking about coming back home. But the only way we can attract them is with good employment prospects. Yeah, good but- quality jobs. So our affordability, our 20-minute city, you could be living in the CBD and working in Atkinvale or lavrack Barracks and you're, only, you're less than a 20-minute drive away. You could be living in North Shore and working at the hospital. And it's less than a 20-minute drive away. So in comparison to um, the big cities where, look, my first job, I had to drive from Doncaster to Noble Park, and that was an hour, 15 minutes, one way, every day.
2: And and that's the time you spend with your kids, your wife, your husband. That's your quality time.
1: It is, and that was one of the reasons we actually stayed in Townsville. All my girlfriends were driving more than an hour, dropping their kids off. They were losing two and and two-and-a-half hours a day my apologies and um, that's why we stayed I mean and that's the attractiveness of Townsville housing is still affordable for for many people just starting out you've got a really good community here and we saw it with Carol's by Candlelight everyone was out I think we had about 15,000 people at Carol's you know that sort of community feel and if you you're interested in doing a bit of the more outdoorsy thing like taking your kids to the beach or for hikes or for those Those sort of things, racing motorbikes and things like that now with Drive-It coming on board, there are facilities for you.
2: And I know... um madame you're always busy and the phone constantly rings so it's okay we can we can look at that uh later on but uh, i i guess i know with the outdoors and the kids and everything like that and you talk about the 20 minute city i mean that's why we try and keep our podcast to 25 minutes because it's a walk up castle hill and hopefully you can listen to the next episode walking down it it it, it, but it really does resonate when i know town civilians take it for advantage take advantage of oh if i'm not there in 12 minutes i'm grumpy but but when you can't when you haven't lived in that environment or you're living that every day it's a big thing isn't it
1: oh Of course it is. I mean, people are time poor as it is now. You don't want to waste time. You don't want to waste it sitting in traffic. You don't want to waste it waiting for traffic lights to change. So they're real real things now that when you're planning a city, you've got to try and consider. So we're doing the new planning scheme. Um, We begin that work we actually began it last year. So we've got to think about where are the new industrial precincts? Are we able to match them with housing estates in the future so that you can just travel 20 minutes to, for example, Lansdowne? Now, we know that there's a big area there that's being developed by Lenleys as part of the Elliott Springs project. And when that project's completed, it actually exits onto the Flinders Highway, which will take it about 20 minutes from there to Lansdowne, the industrial precinct. So this is why you've always got to think around what you're going to do with your city. Planning is really important. We've learned a lot from the way capital cities have been planned out, and in many ways very poorly, because they've just grown without any real control because they've grown so fast. We've got the capability here to actually plan this out, to encourage densification into the CBD, to ensure that if we're setting out areas for home single unit homes, that we'll have enough parks, that That if you've got to drive a car, you're not going to have to drive very far to get to your employment. And we really, really want governments to start thinking about proper public transport corridors.
2: Yeah. And I know, um, so I, I mean, the, the planning and the livability style of it it, it's 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 so critical and and i know one of the big things i always get from people especially when we bring them up here for the first time you know they get off the train and these are australians predominantly or they or they fly in the first thing they do is when we take them to the top of castle hill is go i didn't realize how big this place was Mm. you know and it's this There's 200,000 people here. So we've got all of the, you know, we've got the hospital, we've got the university, we've got all these things, but we still are really in a growth phase and we do have the opportunity to plan these things correctly.
1: We do. And um, obviously the only way a community will grow is you've got to have jobs for them. Yeah. And they can't just be government jobs. They need to be jobs in in good industries, growth industries. So looking three years ago, four years ago, looking at what the next thing would have been after Bravus mining, and that's when the eco-precinct came out. So we've been able to look at creating an area that suits suddenly the new wave government policy.
2: So tell us a little bit about Lansdowne. I mean, a lot of Townsvillians obviously have gone to a breakfast or read about it in the paper and all the rest of it. But... But tell us a little bit about that because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of Vespers or these virus escapees seeking provincial Australia are listening to this down in Melbourne and Sydney. Tell, tell us a little bit about what the, I guess, the plan from council there is and, and, and the project.
1: So the concept of the project is to create a industrial precinct that is really, really powered by renewables. OK, so we've got the renewables at Kingston. We've got the, hydro, uh, the wind farm at Huendon. We've got plenty of solar in the region and we've now got the transmission line that looks like it's going to be paid for by the government from Hewenden back to Townsville, that whole renewable energy corridor. So Lansdowne's really important even to the state government now because they need industrial users. So we've gone out there and we've um, put it out to industry. So we've got Edify, Hydrogen and Solar. We have um, QPM which is one of um, which is looking to come back to nickel and cobalt refining here in townsville using new technology and it's actually got we think the first industrial refining process that'll be totally a circular economy where everything that goes in either gets reused or recycled which will be a, a world's first
2: and and the the power for the precinct, this is a this is a big component of it?
1: So the power of the precinct, a lot of it it I think the future for, will be hydrogen as well. Yeah. But at the moment it'll be with want to make it fully renewable. And,
2: and even with the hydrogen, so, you know, three MOUs signed at the port over the last sort of 12 mm-hmm. months, um, supply chain opportunities, it's it's not hydrogen. We've got to start saying it's green hydrogen, isn't it? because that's what the world wants.
1: That's right. So when you read the policy of places like Korea, Japan, Europe and America, they're really all crying out for green hydrogen, not blue hydrogen. Yep. So for those of the uninitiated out there, green hydrogen is basically you break the bonds down of water and we want to use our reuse water from our sewage treatment plants, our wastewater treatment plants. You break the bonds down so you basically get hydrogen molecules and oxygen and highly combustible, very good if um, in terms of energy production. That's hydrogen. Blue hydrogen usually comes from gas, usually uh, uh Coal Seam Gas is one of the ones, and that's the big one they want to use in the Olorn area, the, um, in Morwell and Maui. And a lot of the countries are saying they'll need to transition, but eventually they want to get to blue hydrogen. So, and I think we're in a really, really good position to be able to fill that market. Now, the Koreans are already well ahead at Sun Metals and their subsidiary Arc Energy. Mm-hmm. Councils in an MOU with them to trial their hydrogen and their fuel cells in some of our garbage trucks. so we're we're looking about how we can partner and be a part of the process. We've also got Origin, Kawasaki, they've got a they've they want to be able to export within the next three to five years from the port, and they've also now signed an MOU with us for a big section of land at Lansdowne to produce green hydrogen. So everything's just falling into place, and
2: and I know, like even you know, th- these are like you were talking about jobs, jobs, jobs in these regional areas. These are highly skilled. These are STEM jobs. These are these are going to be coming from a, a skill base from the university. Um, so they're they're career paths. These aren't these aren't just um, you know the, the <laughs> th- these are good jobs.
1: These are good paying jobs. So yep. they'll want fitters, instrument fitters. They will want. Um, sp- skilled welders. They will want um, operators. They will want um, engineers. They will want power of professionals. So there's going to be a whole range of skills that they will need to operate these facilities. And that's where the jobs come in for our kids who are leaving school. One of the things as a parent of two kids who the courses they wanted to do weren't available here at the university, they had to go to Brisbane at the time. And it broke my heart because I lost both the kids. And I speak to a lot of parents, we are in the same boat. The only way we're going to change that is to bring these jobs to our community because there's an offshoot with that. You know, you see the growth and suddenly you get people moving into the area. You get universities, not just JCU, but CQU, able to offer more courses here. There are more job, more employment opportunities because for every one job we create as a full-time there's usually one and a half as an indirect creation.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, we've done a lot of work with the Go Local sort of multiplier effect yeah. this year and I mean it, it is absolutely critical and you know, we did a really interesting podcast with Jonathan Preto from AB AEC group uh, I think it was our last one talking about just not outsourcing our our knowledge uh, in knowledge services here in Townsville and and doing exactly that like why should we be paying someone to do something in in Brisbane when we've got the skills to do it here so I think that's a that's a critical piece but but these are these are bold big plans to to be aspirational towards.
1: And if someone's got to have, it's not just having the vision, it's driving the vision. And people say, why well, should local government do it? Well, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? Mm. In the end, we, of all the levels of government, we are the service deliverers. more so, Far more so than the federal and probably to a certain extent as much, if not more, than the state. So we've got to deliver those services. We deliver the water, we deliver the wastewater, we deliver the rubbish, we deliver a vast majority of the roads. All the community infrastructure, most of it tends to be delivered by local government. So why not try and ensure that we deliver the economic benefit? You've got to remember at a federal and, and state government level, you're competing. In, in Canberra, you're competing with another, I think, uh, another 90 Hundred people just in the House of Reps, mm. in Brisbane you've got another ninety regions you've got to compete with just in the House. Is that so? Who's going to push towns for? So? Oh,
2: you don't you don't have to get me started on the uh, the Constitution today, Jenny, and uh, where we're going to go with that. But we could, I think, we'd concur That'd that be a that separate. It, po- I, podcast. I think I think a separate podcast. But I think we'd both concur that at least the recognition of local governments would be a, which would be a which would be a great start but we've sort of alluded to federal governments there for a section and 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 one of the big big pieces that the chamber's been working on and and I know we garnished your support as an LGA early on was this with this was insurance and the cost of insurance for because if there, there is one inhibitor up here that that we think would be which would be critical, and I know we got some economic data done by um, by Matt Kelly over at. Um, he 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 looked at it and said, you know, if we can if we can decrease our insurance bills by you know thousand um, dollars <laughs> a, a year, it, it's three hundred and fifty jobs. If if we get it if we get it halved or, or you know two thousand dollars off, you know, we're looking at sort of nine hundred and fifty jobs once we multiply them and put them through the economy just just via getting a bit of a discount on this insurance thing. The reinsurance pool. There's been some draft legislation come out uh, last week. We're all sort of writing responses to it at the moment. But the federal government does have a big role to play, particularly if we're going to develop northern Australia and and looking at this insurance as an issue.
1: There's a whole range of issues. And what's come out of the discussion, as you know, it's not just strata, title and home. It's also business and contractors insurance. Now, we've looked at the 40-page document that's come out um, from the federal government. Um, It purely looks at cyclones. Doesn't talk about anything else other than cyclonic effect, which it's a good start, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, but probably doesn't go far enough. And for strata, there's still an issue around if you have commercial in strata. Yeah. And I think they've set a, up a limit for Strata Insurance. Uh, okay, it's a start, but what about the contractors? Because you and I both know a lot of businesses are struggling to get affordable insurance, whether it's contractors' insurance, whether it's public liability. Yeah, the, um,
2: the, the public li- liability, private indemnity insurance. That's a that's another massive a whole m- massive of probably probably a bit more Australia wide. So I think we'd have a bit more support of that. But but going back to your point about the House of Reps and and how we've got to argue for this, it, it is a big issue because as we do develop Northern Australia and we do look at these opportunities and, and particularly cities like Townsville, affordable housing, like people will build the strata buildings and build those buildings if they can get good line of sight on insurance. So we just can't emphasise enough and, how and important it is. And if we're going to
1: densify the community and stop people moving out and an urban sprawl, which is really what we want to do, yep. we need that sort of thinking at a federal government level. and. You know, the part of the issue has always been, and you and I have spoken about this, we're dealing with people who, many of whom have at best probably visited the region one day or two days in 20 years. We need to have people working in Canberra who are out of the regions. We need people in senior positions who can support the view of the community and support the views of some of their political Masters, and I don't know if that happens enough.
2: Well, it, well, it certainly didn't happen with the reinsurance bill because we're very, very vocal about that. But I, I always am pretty simple person, Jenny, but I always go back to, you know, you, you often act on what you get nagged at at night over the dinner table. And, uh, if mm-hmm. you, if you, if you go home and, and, um, your husband or wife's nagging you about the insurance bill you've just got, you, you're probably more likely if you've got some influence to talk about that on Monday at the first meeting rather yeah. than, than, um, and I know our feedback to Treasury has been very direct. You know, we've got a, we've got a terrorism reinsurance pool. Uh, everyone in Townsville with in industrial buildings paying 6% into that. Yeah. Um, everyone in Winton's paying 2% into it. So, you know, I think it's fair if we're going to have a reinsurance pool for Australia, then then it's levied across Australia. And that's, that's the whole principle of insurance at the end of the day.
1: It is. And if anything, maybe it'll pull a few of the players back into the market in Northern Australia and we'll start to see some real competition back in the market. Um, but at the moment, um, there's a couple of, there's one new player in the market and I would encourage people to give them a call. Yep. I won't mention them, <laughs> but there is a new player in the market and they're very keen for business. So, yeah, you know, that's, that's how it works. That's
2: a good thing. Um, one of the other interesting things I wanted to touch on in your speech, you talked about migration. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought this was a, you know... A, you don't hear people up here talking about a lot, um, and I thought it was a it was a great opportunity, particularly on this sort of format, to, to delve into that a little bit. What made you bring that up as a key point during your, your speech with the Property Council?
1: Well, if you look at what happened to Australia, the post-war migration, we needed people to build the infrastructure, whether it was the snowy mountains, the highways. And I look back, the Board of Works in Victoria, massive program to sewer, all the suburbs in Victoria. Most of that was done by, by migrants. I mean, Grollo brothers started off, Luigi was a concreter and his sons worked for um, the main roads department in Victoria, you know, and people, those people are hungry and they build and they want to build and Mm. they want to, if they're given the opportunity, they just do a lot more. Those, that feeling, I think for the North, if we're going to grow the North, we need people like that, people who see the opportunity and people who will come here and do the work that at the moment we're struggling to find dinky die Aussies to do, whether it's as chefs. um, We're having trouble getting labourers Mm -hmm. to work. A lot of kids, their parents don't encourage the kids to do trades. I mean, personally, I think a trade is worth as much as an accountant, um, their importance in the community.
2: Well, yeah, you, yeah. You got to turn a tap on and turn your lights on.
1: That's right. Yeah. You know? um, but we don't seem to be encouraging a lot of the kids to do that sort of work. I don't want to just bring migrants in for the sake of bringing them in. I think we really need to push the envelope, particularly with our young people, because we've still got very high youth unemployment. But conversely, we at the moment are seeing some shortages in critical areas that, if we don't deal with them, it's going to st- it's going to stymie growth over the next three to three to five years. And I talk about engineers. I talk about um, designers. For some reason, we haven't been able to move our kids into those areas. And no disrespect to lawyers, but we've got a lot of kids doing law degrees. And I sort of think, well, guys, couldn't you have done physics and maths at school? Because we desperately need you as engineers or as design draftees or even to take up a trade like an electrician or a, a plumber or a boilermaker. I mean, you and I both know businesses that are crying out for quality apprentices and they just can't seem to find them.
2: Yeah, but I must admit too, like if we, when we were sitting in meetings you know, 12 to 18 months ago, we were we were all looking at a very different spreadsheet when it came to employment and stuff like that. So they probably are reasonably good problems to have but we've, we've got to look at making sure that they don't slow things up, that's for sure. No,
1: and we've got to think about if we have to move to some sort of visa for work. Where would we get these people from? So, I mean, I, I have a view. I think um, there's plenty of countries out there with good English language, with people who would integrate well into the community but i think we've got to have that conversation at the moment we've seen migration cut mm-hmm. and that risks that's a real risk if we don't have good solid training programs to move people into employment and at this point um i don't think we've got enough kids doing engineering at jcu i think they've still got vacancies and that's not a good look
2: yeah no and i mean there is there's big infrastructure projects coming up you know we we've, we've Spoken um, at length about the uh, the defence investment that's going on up here. We've got. Um quite about $2 billion a year when you add up defence here locally and not including all the, the additional spend they're doing. You know, Queensland now have the Olympics 2032 and we talk about moving people around and skill shortages and drains. Is there been some thought going on up here around what opportunities there are for our sort of city when it comes to these, these big things?
1: We are talking to people around opportunities as we move into the Olympics. We've got 10 years really to sell our wares and make sure that we've got facilities here that can be attractive to whether there are other Olympic countries who wish to train here mm-hmm. or the possibility of bringing in a whole section of the Olympic, one of their, their areas like rugby sevens or pool games for soccer or hockey or something like that. So I think we can put a very good case up for that and really with the Cowboys High Performance Training Centre, that gives us a little extra on the um, on the plan to, to take to some of these other countries. But convert Firstly, the real risk we've got is I see a lot of local governments there now pushing the state government to provide them with stadiums or this facility or that facility for the Olympics, which I didn't think that our bid was about, because our bid was about, we had all the facilities... Pre-existing infrastructure. Pre-existing infrastructure. Yes, yes. But you've got um, places like the Sunshine Coast screaming for a stadium, and yet you've got Seabus, which I would argue on the Gold Coast is the most underutilised stadium in the SEQ. Yep. So... Yeah, and they're redeveloping ballymore. So and then you've got Suncorp and now they're doing um, the uh, Gabba, and they're looking for a home for cricket and football. It looks like they'll go to Carrara. So you start to look at it. You've got plenty of stadiums down there. Do you really need to build any more? And that's a question we need to ask of government. We've got plenty of stadiums in the state. Let's us utilise them to the best ability for the Olympics.
2: And, and I mean, Townsville's getting a bit of a reputation too. If they give us some marbles up here like Melbourne, we'll, we'll fill a stadium. I mean, we filled filled it for the rugby this year. I mean, state of origin sold out in about two and a half seconds uh my mum got a ticket from Hidden Valley easier than you can get one in Townsville so we really did become the sporting capital of Australia this year I believe anyway yeah,
1: for yeah. a period of time yeah. thank thank you covid yeah. we really did become <laughs> that um that real event place, and mm. it must have really hurt people in Melbourne to see us partying in the streets, listening to Jessica Malboy and Birds of Tokyo. The only thing that happened that night was the Maroons forgot to bring their game to town.
2: Yeah, I I I, I, I sat down in Sydney when we got beaten by about fifty odd points one night in the rain, and I thought can it ever get any worse than this. And I I made the comment to Dad that night. I said, oh, at least it wasn't as bad as the night in Sydney. And then when we actually googled it, it was actually worse. So yeah, we we definitely don't want to um, talk no. about. That, but I guess when they bring Origin back up here next year, um, hopefully the maroons will go a little bit better. Maybe. Yeah, that's but right.
1: but you're right. But they're the lifestyle things too that yep. attract people to a place like Townsville. But getting back to the Olympics, the real problem we will have is if there is, and there is at the moment a massive building boom in the SEQ. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about vespers. Well, there's a lot of them who are moving into, uh, moving out of Victoria and New South Wales into SEQ. That drain on skills, those building skills, you know, blockies, um, plumbers, electricians, you know, civil works contractors. You can't get civil works contractors up here at the moment. They're all flat chat. They've all got work on. And that's great, but how do we then ensure that we can affordably grow the community? Because we don't want to see businesses compete to the point where they price out that ability for people to buy a home because it gets so expensive. Because I believe it's gone from 150 to $6 to lay a block at the moment, mm-hmm. if you can get someone who can lay blocks. Now, it's one of the worst jobs I think you could have. It's the most physical, arduous jobs. Yeah, and those guys deserve to be paid well, but it'd be nice if we had a few more block layers in the city and competition can help ensure affordability.
2: Mm, yeah, I know um, a couple of mates that lay blocks or, or stop laying blocks because it got too hot. But yeah, I mean, some of the prices they're demanding at the moment, uh, they're pretty um, pretty happy with, that's for sure. But I mean, look, Jenny, to sort of to, to wrap up, I guess, I mean, both very passionate about the city and its lifestyle and, and its opportunities here. It really is one of the best places in Australia to, to, to live and raise your Raise your kids, isn't it? I mean, that's the fundamental, what we're all about.
1: It is. I think um, when you look at all the, sp- the availability of sporting activities, the sort of more natural things you can do, and there's a tipping point. So, you know, once we start to push towards 250, you will see a, a really a tipping point, especially around entertainment, restaurants, and things like that. And I would say to people, we've got a investor in the city now, Chris Morris. Mm. Now, Chris is one of the richest men in Australia. He's investing a lot of money now in our community and in surrounding areas in the north. He really believes in northern Australia and mm. north Queensland. And when you get people like that willing to put their money where their mouth is, that is a that is a big plus for our city.
2: Oh, 100%. And I, I know, you know, Chris, amazing investment. Not only here, but all around the the north as well. He sees the opportunity much broader than than probably a lot of locals are at the moment. But he's talking to those important people in Melbourne and Sydney That's as well. Right. So he's obviously getting an indication from them about what they're thinking as well.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, if we needed an ambassador in Melbourne, I reckon Chris would be the best one for us.
2: Fantastic. All right, Jenny, is there anything you want to leave us on? I mean, Merry Christmas to you and, and all the family and all and of that Merry sort of Christmas stuff. Merry
1: Christmas to all the listeners. I hope um, it's a good festive season for everyone. Borders are open. Mm. Maybe that means um, a bit more people drifting from the south-north looking for work, which I think we could use a few more people.
2: I, I think that's a, an amazing, important uh, point to make is, you know, not only the tourists are coming, but hopefully some workers as well yeah. <laughs> when they when they get up here because there's plenty of jobs.
1: Yeah, there's plenty of jobs, plenty of work and plenty of sunshine. Isn't it great?
2: Excellent. Thanks very much, Jenny. Thanks for your time.
1: Thanks, Ross. For this episode, the Townsville Chamber
0: of Commerce wants to thank the Property Council of Australia. The Property Council's Positioning Our City for the Future Lunch was a forum for leaders in the property industry to hear from key government and business identities. Mayor Councillor Jenny Hill delivered the keynote address highlighting interstate migration and hydrogen as opportunities to leverage. Thank you to Mayor Councillor Jenny Hill, moderator Stephen Moddy, panellists Renee Crosby and John Kerry for sharing their insights on these important topics for the region. Held on 26 November 2021, it was attended by over 100 people at the Ville. The Property Council thanks Terry Humphreys and the Townsville Committee for organising. We appreciate you tuning in to the Townsville Chambercast. Subscribe and follow to receive Chambercast updates for your morning commute every second Friday. Thanks for listening and remember to think, support, celebrate and go local. This podcast is proudly funded by the Australian and Queensland governments through the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. We would also like to thank our show partner, Adits, for making this podcast possible. Adits are your local IT provider with one purpose, to implement effective technology solutions which empower their customers to achieve their mission. You can find out more about how they can support you and your business over on their website, adits.com.au, adit